Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. This story is from Genesis 18, verse 16 to 33. Well, sort of. When the men got up to leave, they set off for Sodom. Abraham walked with them to say goodbye. Then God said, shall I keep back from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham is going to become a large and strong nation. All the nations of the world are going to find themselves blessed through him. Yes, I've set it on him as the one to train his children in future, family to observe God's way of life, live kindly, generously and fairly so that God can complete in Abraham what he promised him. God continued, The cries of the victims in Sodom and Gomorrah are deafening. The sin of those cities is immense. I'm going down to see for myself, see if what they're doing is as bad as it sounds. Then I'll know. The people set out for Sodom, but Abraham stood in God's path, blocking his way. Abraham confronted him. Are you serious? Are you planning on getting rid of the good people right along with the bad? What if there are 50, 50 decent people left in the city? Will you lump the good with the bad and get rid of the lot? Wouldn't you spare the city for the sake of those 50 innocents? I can't believe you'd do that. Kill off the good and the bad alike as there's no difference between them. Doesn't the judge of all the earth judge of justice? God said, if I find 50 decent people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the place just for them. Abraham came back. Do I, a mere mortal made from a handful of dirt, dare open my mouth again to my master? What if the 50 fall short by five? Would you destroy the city because of those missing five? God said, I won't destroy it if there are 45. Abraham spoke up again. What if you only find 40? Neither will I destroy it if if for 40, said God. Abraham said, Master, don't be irritated with me, but what if only 30 are found? God replied, no, I won't do it if I find 30. Abraham pushed on. I know I'm trying your patience, master, but how about for 20? God answered, I won't destroy it for 20. Abraham wouldn't quit. Don't get angry, master. This is the last time. What if you only come up with 10? God said, for the sake of only 10, I won't destroy the city. When God finished talking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham went home. The end for now. Awesome. Great job. Thanks, guys. Loved it. (laughs) Whoa, there we go. All right. So... Uh, what's going to happen now, our Water Wings kids, our kindy and our pre-primary kids uh, are going to have... My microphone keeps turning itself off. Okay. They're going to have their... Well... This might be a bit echoey, but at least you can hear me. So if, you're, if your kids are in kindy or pre-primary and they've been signed in, then uh, they can head over to Georgia and Haley 
who are just over here, and uh, they can head across with them right now. If they haven't been signed in yet, then uh, they need a parent to come with them to sign them in at the room. They've got a list of the kids who are signed in. So our kidney pre-primary kids, of course, we're welcome to keep them in here, but I think that they'll have a lot more fun having their own story time, and they're going to do some activities and some craft over that side as well. Amazing. Thank you. Okay. I used to have this other water bottle that was one of those ones you could open with your teeth, but it kept leaking everywhere. And I figured it was better to have to undo a lid than to like preach with water just all down here. I've seen, I've seen people sweat when they're preaching before, but yeah, that might have been a little bit distracting. Anyway, so I was at my parents' house a couple months ago, and they've got this... Um, They've got this big bookshelf in their, in their dining room, and I was sitting at the table looking across at this bookshelf, and now my parents are both English teachers, so my whole life there's always been a big old bookshelf full of stuff, full of books, uh, and it's, you know, text that they've had to teach, things that they've studied, um, parenting books from when we were babies, uh, and of course it accumulated over the years books that were read to us uh, when we were kids. And I saw this, this particular book on the shelf that I had forgotten about. It was called Six Brave Explorers. And it was kind of, it was one of these counting books. It starts with six explorers, they go to Egypt, but it was a particularly savage one. Like we've, we've seen, you know these books that are like, yeah, this is the one. You know these books that are like, oh, 10 this, did this, and then on the next page there's nine, and the next page there's... This one starts, six brave explorers went to Egypt alive... One spotted a rare bird. You can see that on the cover. Then there were five. <laughs> My copy of the book doesn't have the bird anymore. It's been ripped because I think I was like two years old. I actually think this book might have been how I first learned about death. But anyway, <laughs> not all these counting books are particularly savage, but, but we, we probably, we, you know the books I'm talking about. You've either read one to a child or we've had, you know, you've had one read to you. Um, Often they start with 10, but, you know, it can be whatever number. And, and this is the kind of vibe that I get when I read this story in Genesis 18. It's this, Abraham and God have this bizarre conversation. And then it, to me, I'm like, what is going on? Is this, it sounds to me like one of, these, one of these counting books where Abraham starts it. Okay, would you, if you find 50 righteous people, would you spare Sodom? And God says yes. And then he's like, what about 45? You know, 50 righteous Sodomites not worshiping uh, God, gold cows. Actually, there's only 45. So how about now? See, my children's book career didn't take off, so that's why I work here. Um, but, uh, but of course, that's not the purpose of the text. That's not the purpose of the passage or why it's in the Bible. It's not a, a passage designed to teach Israelite kids how to count down from 50 in increments of 5 or 10. So what the heck is it? And that's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, and before we do that... Um, let me just pray. Let's invite God to speak to us, because you might get a few laughs from what I say, but what God says to you can change your life. So let's invite him to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you're here, and I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would speak to all of us this morning, help us to get closer to you and understand you more. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the thing that really, the question that really strikes me when I read this passage, there's a few questions, but the question that gets me the most is, why is Abraham and God having this conversation at all? It's this weird situation where God says to Abraham, I'm gonna, like I've heard about the city Sodom and their sin is really, really bad and I'm going to go there because I need to see for myself whether it's as bad as it sounds. And I read that and go, but God, can't, don't you already know? Doesn't God know everything? Can't God be everywhere at once? So why is he telling Abraham that he needs to go to a place to go and check it out? And I think that the truth is that God already knows the situation. I think God already knows the sin of Sodom, and he already knows what needs to be done about it. But I suspect that maybe he's, he's having this conversation with Abraham because he's, he's explaining it to Abraham in a way that Abraham can understand. That, um, that perhaps the idea that, that God is everywhere and knows everything, maybe Abraham wasn't quite ready to comprehend or understand that, so it wasn't about God saying, I need to go and look at this place. He already knows what's going on there. But maybe it was about Abraham needing to see God go and look so that then Abraham would know that God's response was fair and was righteous and was just and was thought through. So then the question is, what's so special about Abraham? Why does he, why is, why does he need to know? What's, what's the big deal about Abraham? And the nice thing is that we actually get a little bit of... Um, insight into what God's process was for why he decided to tell Abraham what he was going to do. Because before they have the conversation, um, verse 17, it says, the Lord said to himself, "Um, should I tell Abraham what I am going to do? Should I hide my, should I hide my, um, should I hide my plan from Abraham? And then the Lord said to himself, I should tell Abraham what I'm going to do since his family will become a great and powerful nation that will be a blessing to all the other nations on earth. I have chosen him to teach his family to obey me forever and to do what is right and fair. Then I will give Abraham many descendants just as I promised. So God weighs up these these facts. He's like, okay, should I tell, should I hide this plan from Abraham? Should I tell him what's gonna happen? And then these are the things that God determines are are important factors in the decision. Abraham is gonna be a great nation. The world is going to be blessed through Abraham. That's that third promise that we've been talking about in the splash zone. Hey, God identifies, I've singled him out. He will direct his family to keep the way of the Lord. That's going to be Abraham's job. And if he keeps his end of this promise, then then I, God, will keep my side of it. These are the things that, because, because of those things, God decides to tell Abraham. And I think it becomes more clear that this conversation about Sodom is actually not about Sodom. It's about Abraham. It's about something that God wanted Abraham to know. And, and actually, it's, it's more than just about Abraham, but it's, God thinks this through. It's, it's about how the world's gonna be blessed through Abraham and what Abraham's gonna teach his son and his son and, and his family through them. It's about something that God wants all of his people to know. So as I read this, I came up with three things that I think God wants all of his people to know that we can see in this passage. And it's relevant to us because now it's not just Abraham's kids or the Israelites who are God's people, but any one of us who follows Jesus, we are now counted as God's people. And so if there's something that God wants his people to know, 
then as his church, it's important for us to know it. So the first thing that I think we, that we see in this, through this conversation that they have is that God wants his people to know that he takes sin really, really seriously. And this is actually something that I think Abraham already knew. Because when God tells Abraham about the sin of Sodom, God doesn't actually, God isn't the one to say, I'm going to destroy Sodom if it's as sinful as I think. Abraham just goes there by himself. He knows. God says, oh, I've heard about the sin in this place. And Abraham says, okay, so when you destroy it, um, you know, he, he immediately, he knows, what, he knows what the consequences are. But this was an opportunity for God to reinforce that, to confirm it, to, to, to reinforce Abraham's understanding that sin is not something that just gets left. Sin is not something that, you know, sin, our decisions to reject God. It's not just something that can sit there and God will turn a blind eye to. It's something that God takes very seriously and does something about. It's relevant to all of us who are, who are God's people because no matter how much we love Jesus, from time to time, we all end up with little, little pockets of our lives or, or thoughts or, or things that we just look at and go, every part of me follows Jesus except for this one thing. And maybe that's okay. Maybe I can just give God everything else. And, and this is a reminder for us to know. Know every part of our lives, if we call ourselves God's children, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, every part of our lives is to be given to him. And any, any part of our life that we choose to hold back from him or, um, or reject him with is something that God doesn't just ignore, but is something that is taken seriously. And, uh, and we, need to, we need to do the same. We need to take that seriously too. The second thing that I see in this passage um, is that God desires a relationship of openness with his people. I was thinking about, first of all, the question God asks himself in verse 17. He says, should I hide my plan from Abraham? It's rather than should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? It's as though God's, God's default, God's natural position is to want to share what he's going to do with Abraham. And then he's, he's got to think, should I hide it? Should, is this one of those moments? I think that, that God's natural disposition is to want to, to share with us. And we see throughout the Bible, even at the very beginning when he created us, when he created people, he walked with Adam and Eve and he shared with them what he had created. God's, God's natural position is to want to share with us. But there are these moments where it's better for us to wait or there's something that God needs to hold back from us. There's something that he's going to tell us later because he knows that it's in our best interest not to hear it at that particular time. And this was not one of those moments, but it, it might have been, and God thinks it through. Is this one of those moments where I hide my plan actually based on these things about Abraham? No, it isn't. I'll share it. But we also see that not only does God want to share with us, but he wants us to share with him. You know, I get kind of a ridiculous vibe from this conversation, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Like, it, it, it goes for a little while. And, and I was reading it going, oh, this is one of those passages that's just a little bit trickier to read, not, not as interesting, at least at first. And I was thinking about, what if I was having that conversation with a person? Like, it, it's a tedious, repetitive conversation. 
Um, and the thing is with God, right, God has some insight that I don't have. God knew Abraham's heart. He knew his thoughts. He knew his mind. He knew that, you know, maybe his underlying concern even was that his nephew was in Sodom and, and maybe it wasn't even about the 10 righteous people. Maybe really all Abraham wanted to know was, is my nephew going to be okay? But God knew everything that was going on inside Abraham and he could have, and I probably would have if I was in that position, just stopped him and said, Abraham, before you, before, but let me stop you right there. Before you launch into this really repetitive irritating kind of spiel, you know, before we write a really terrible children's book together, let me stop you. Let me tell you, it's going to be fine. If there was 10 righteous people in the city, I would spare it. I know that's where you're going. We can just like, let's not waste five minutes of our life that we'll never get back. But he doesn't do that. He, he lets Abraham bring his questions. He lets Abraham bring his thoughts and his concerns even though he already knows what Abraham is going to say. He lets Abraham go through this thought process slowly. He lets Abraham go through it at his own pace. It's more important that Abraham shares what's going on inside him with God than God just giving him all the answers before they've even had a conversation. And I think that's a picture of the relationship that God wants with us. That's a picture of the relationship he wants with his people. He, he wants, I believe, he wants a relationship with us where he can share with us and we'll trust him when he does and when he doesn't. And we will share with him. We'll share our thoughts. We'll share our concerns. We'll share our questions. Even though God already knows them, not because we're bringing information to him that he wouldn't know otherwise, but just because it builds a relationship with him. Because when, you, when you're open with somebody, when you, when you tell someone a question, that shows that you trust them. You can't ask someone a question unless you're going to trust what, that their, the, the answer they give you is going to be right or true. When you tell somebody that you're concerned about something or worried about something, that takes trust in that other person. And that's what, that's what God wants with us. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him so much that we can bring our questions and thoughts and concerns to him. Now, the New Testament has some stuff to say about that as well. And uh, there's a particular verse that um, I, when, I, when I first started following Jesus, one of my mentors made me memorize it, and I'm really glad that he did. So this is, this is a verse written to all of God's people. It's an instruction to us to, to tell God what we need and thank him for what he's done. And I find it so interesting. God knows what we need, right? Of course he knows what we need, but he instructs us to tell him what we need. Not because he wouldn't be able to meet our needs otherwise. But, but the thing about telling somebody what you need is that you, you can't do that without first recognizing that you have a need and recognizing that there's something that you need that you can't get on your own. When we tell God our needs, we're saying to him, God, here's this thing that I need that I can't do by myself. Here's this thing that I can't get on my own. And he already knows that, but what it does in us is it increases our humility. It, it makes us more humble. We can't, we can't tell someone our needs without being humble. But what God desires is a relationship of openness with us where we are humble and we trust him and where he can share with us what he's doing as well. 
The third thing that I think God wants his people to know in this passage is it's in this, this, the way that God answers Abraham right throughout this, this conversation. Because Abraham first asks, he says, God, if, you, if there were 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, would you still destroy it? Now, God doesn't say to Abraham, Abraham, if there was 50 good guys in that city, I would absolutely make sure that I get them out and I get them safe. And then once they are free and clear, then I'll wipe out the city. He doesn't say that. He says, Abraham, 50 righteous people would be enough for me to spare the entire city. And it, 50 righteous people would be enough for it to be saved. And it goes on, and Abraham questions 45, and God says, 45, I still wouldn't wipe it out. I would still spare it. All the way down to 10, and Abraham says, if there was 10 people, and God says, even for 10, I, that would be enough for me to spare to save that city. And what it, what it shows us is that the righteousness, the goodness of a small number is enough, is able to pay the price for the wickedness of a large number. And the thing, the question for me is, is not even really, you know, because spoilers, in the next chapter, Sodom gets destroyed. But we're going to talk about that a bit more next week. Because there, I guess there wasn't even 10 righteous people there. And so God does what he said that he needed to do. And, um, but the question for me is not, oh, could, if there was a few more righteous people, could Sodom have been spared? Could Sodom have been saved? I actually don't really care. It happened thousands of years ago. The question for me is, can I be saved? Can the world be saved? Because the world is still broken. And there's still wickedness everywhere. And there's still wickedness in me. So the question is not, can Sodom be saved? The question that I'm concerned about is, what about me? Can I be saved? Can the world I live in be saved? And what this little, little conversation shows us is that the righteousness of a small number is able to save a bigger number. And, and it points us towards something, the most important thing that happened in the whole story of God. When the righteousness of one was enough to pay the price for the wickedness of the world. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Romans 5.19 says, Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. What Jesus was doing when he went to the cross, when he died, and when he rose again, he was doing this, this transaction where the righteousness of one paid the price for the sin of the world. Yes, God takes sin very seriously. But that's not something for us to receive as Oh gosh, there's no hope. Because at the same time, we can, we, we can be reminded that, that Jesus did something incredible. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived a life so righteous that, and that it was enough to pay the price for all of us. And all it takes to receive that, to be 
among that who, who, are, who are spared, who are saved, who are made righteous because of someone else's righteousness. All it takes is to receive it, to believe it. John 1.12 says, For, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who believed and accepted and I want to give you a, an opportunity to, to respond to what we've talked about this morning. Um, in a minute, we're just going to pray together. And I want to ask you a few questions. First of all, the first question, just to think about, just this is just for, you know, between you and God. But the first question to think about is, do you have, is there a sin in your life? Is there, is there something in your life that you know is not what God would want and this morning, you want to take the opportunity to, to turn around from it. We use the word repent, which means to, to change direction, to turn around. Is there some part that when I'm talking about how seriously God takes sin, you feel inside you like someone's put a finger on something and, you, and oh, it's this. This is something that needs to be given to God. I want to give you an opportunity to, to tell God that and give it over to him today. Maybe, maybe it's not that, but, but second question, do you have a need that you want to bring to God? When I was little, I used to have nightmares. Uh, I've told this story in the Splash Zone before. I used to be afraid that a giant plant was going to come out of the fireplace and eat me. <laughs> and, um, and it was this thing. It was like we said, you know, something that you need that you can't get by yourself. I had this fear that I couldn't, I knew that it wasn't real. I was old enough to know it wasn't real. But I couldn't help being afraid. I had this fear that I couldn't deal with on my own. And my mom sat down with me one night and she, she, talked me, she told me about, this, this, about what the Bible says about fear. And she told me that, that, that God will take away my fear. And she told me that God didn't, didn't give me a spirit of fear. And she told me what I need to do is to, to claim that and to tell God and ask God to help me to take that fear away. So I did. And it went. I said to God, I need you to take this away, and I stopped being scared. There's later on, later on in life, when I was in uni, I, um, I got told partway, halfway through my second last year, I got told, essentially, it's a longer story, but I essentially got told, Dave, you're just not good at this, and you're going to have to work much harder than everybody else just to keep up. And I was working as hard as I possibly could. And I remember having this moment of having to come to God and say, I can't do this on my own. I actually need you to pull something out here. I need you to help me. I can't get this done by myself. And he did. And you guys know that I, if you know me, you know I graduated and I don't do that job anymore, but, but I finished it. Now, I don't know what your situation is and... and Maybe you have a simple need. Maybe it's more complicated than that. Maybe it's a relationship breakdown. Maybe your financial situation is not where you need it to be. Um, maybe you've got a health concern. Maybe your mental health, maybe your physical health. I don't know what your needs are this morning. God does. God already knows. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning to tell him what you need, not because he needs to find out, but because it's an opportunity for you to put it in his hands, to humble yourself, to, to admit to him, I can't do this on my own, and to build your relationship of openness and trust with him. 
And the third question is, maybe you've just never said yes to Jesus. And maybe you would like to do that this morning. Maybe as you hear about this, how seriously God takes sin, you think, oh, okay, that's, that's not good news. But as you hear about the, the fact that one righteous person who wasn't just a person, but who was God himself, the only one righteous enough to do it, was willing to die for you, was willing to be that one who paid the price so that you could live and you could, you could be counted as righteous. Maybe that resonates with you this morning and you've never said to God, I believe and accept. I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to pray together. Can I just ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads? This is just so that we can focus, so that we can concentrate with, on this moment with God and so that we know that, the, that it's between us and God. And, and if you're not comfortable closing your eyes, that's okay. I just ask that you'd look down at the carpet and let's just let um, the people around us focus on what God is saying. And if you're in any one of those groups, if you feel like, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a sin or a situation that I need to turn around from, or there's a, there's a need in my life that I can't handle on my own and I need to bring it to God. Or maybe it's quite simply, I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Then I'd love to pray for you and I'll pray for us all together. If you're in any one of those groups, would you just show me who I'm praying for by raising your hand? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, you know what the situation is. You know what the need is in your heart. And I encourage you to tell God that as I pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up everybody who just raised their hand in response to what you're saying to them and what you're doing in their hearts. Lord, I lift up all the the situations. I lift up all the needs that are represented in this room. Lift up all the situations we, we know are not of you and that we need to turn away from. And we, we ask for your help in doing that. Lord, I lift up all the needs, the things that we can't do on our own. Lord, we bring them before you now and we, we pray that you would help. We ask for your divine assistance in dealing with these situations. And Lord, for anyone who has just raised their hand because they want to receive you for the first time, Lord, we just declare that we accept and we believe. We believe that you died and rose again. We accept what you've done for us. We accept that, like we sung earlier, we couldn't earn it and we don't deserve it, but you, you gave yourself for us. Lord, we receive that righteousness right now. We receive your forgiveness right now. And I pray that this would be the beginning of a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for all that you are doing in us and for us, all that you have have done and will do. We thank you, Lord God. Help us to continue to build a relationship of openness, of trust, of humility, of righteousness with you, the one who makes us right. We give you all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.